We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Take a seat, turn to the person next to you and say, you look good tonight. Oh, so good to be with you guys. I tell you, I'm loving it because when I left England, I mean, um, you know, they're going into winter there. It's like seven degrees at the moment over there. And, uh, and, and I'm just suffering for Jesus here. <laughs> you know, somebody had to do it. Here are my Lord, send me. So, uh, yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's really great being here. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm here when, when Pastor Sam Monk asked me, would I come over for a season? You know, there are a number of reasons why I did it. One, because I have a personal love for John and Karen Malcolm and consider them friends. Uh, two, I, I love the church that they have established. And, and three, I actually like Christchurch. It's a great city. I experienced my first earthquake last week. Yeah, the building where I was in was... Sh- and I got excited. Now, you have to be careful where you say that, don't you? You know, in a sort of a, a country that has earthquakes, you know, because, yeah, it just can be a bit sensitive for some people. But I got excited because I immediately thought of Acts 4, you know, when they were all praying and the place where they were was shaken. I thought, oh, wow, God's in this place, you know. At least that's what went through my head, you know. I know it's an earthquake, but anyway... So, uh, yeah, so I'm here for a season and then back for a month in the UK over Christmas and then back here again with my wife for about three months. So, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're just facing a few challenges, but God is good. I need to tell you something else as well. The most brilliant couples in Christchurch all came from Dunedin. I'm telling you, you see, you, you just, thank you. Thank you. I, he doesn't know this, but I'm secretly here to recruit. No, not really. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They come anyway. Um, the message I'm, I'm going to preach to you tonight, you know, some messages take a long time to develop. This one probably took about 25 years. Uh, and the reason I say that is because, not that I was writing the message for 25 years, but, but the way God shaped me took a long time. And so when I share what I share tonight, here's one of the things I want to say right up front. The first thing is this. As you hear it, I don't want anyone to get condemned. I don't want anyone to, to feel bad about some of the things I'm going to say. What I want you to do is realize that, that life is a process. And discipleship is a process. And you start in one place and there's a a clear goal. And the goal is maturity and conformity to Jesus and being more like him. But, you know, along that journey, you you have sort of certain crises, certain points of confrontation with truth. And you have to face certain things. And and that's been my journey. So so maybe you're somewhere on this scale where where I'm going to say things to you tonight and you're going to realize, wow, I've got to face some things. But I just want to say right up front, God is incredibly gracious and you're allowed to be in your process. You're not allowed to hide. You're not allowed to run away. But you are allowed to press in and it takes as long as it takes. You know, and sometimes people say to me, yeah, but I've been dealing with this for a while. I, you know, I'll open up a bit about my life tonight. But yeah, okay, things do take a while. And it just takes as long as it takes. Is that okay? So if I had a title for this message tonight, here's my title. Big words, small words. 
Big words, small words. You see, I believe that language often tells us what's important in our world. The words that we use tell us something about us and how we frame reality. And here's what I've discovered. That many, many times we will emphasize certain words in our life, or perhaps we won't actually confess them, but they're big in our heads. And sometimes the words that are big in our heads are not meant to be big words. They're big to us, but they're not meant to be. And sometimes God wants the big words to become small words and the small words to become big words. Let me illustrate this. In Matthew uh, chapter 23 and verse 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now, in case you don't know, mint and dill and cumin are herbs. If you're American here, they're herbs. But we're British and New Zealanders, so they're herbs. There's an H there and it's not silent. These are all herbs. <laughs> Have I offended any Americans here? So I, us- I usually do at some point, but I love America. <clears throat> but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here's my point, that, that tithing is a good thing, right? Yeah? So it's not like these guys are doing something wrong. Okay? You know, many, many times I, I meet Christians and their world is a binary world. Here's what I mean by that. They see things black and white. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it right? Is it wrong? And often the issue is not, is it right or is it wrong? The issue is, is it helpful? So Paul says this, all things are all lawful, not everything's helpful. So we've got to break out of this binary mentality. Is it right or is it wrong? You see, they weren't doing anything that was wrong, but it was extremely unhelpful because the weight was on the small thing, not the big thing. You see, the, tith- the, the tithing of mint and dill and cumin, that's just herbs. That's light. That's not important. It's there. It's a reality, but it's small. Jesus says, here's the big stuff. It's mercy. It's justice. It's faithfulness. They're, they're the big words. And many times in life, we're emphasizing the wrong word in our life. See, I believe that money is a small word but I believe generosity is a big word. And many times we, we try to deal with money. It says this in, in Proverbs eleven twenty four. there's one who scatters yet increases more. Well, farmers understand that because when you sow seed, you get a harvest. There's one who scatters yet increases more. There's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. You're allowed to withhold because if you don't withhold, you've got nothing to sow. But if you withhold more than is right, that's not helpful. It leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. You see, I believe that many times when we frame our world, we frame it in terms of do I have enough money rather than in terms of how generous can I become? 
Do you know it says this in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his hands the thing that is good that he may have to give to him who is in need. The reason that you labor and work is so that you can have surplus. You see, many times in life, when we get a promotion, the first thing we do is increase our standard of living. How about increasing our standard of giving? Oh, write that down. That was a good one. You see, in our Western mindset, in our first world mindset, it's always about more, 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 more. But that tends towards lust. That tends towards greed. That tends towards covetousness. But generosity, that's a different spirit. And you see, with all of these words, words carry ideas, words carry uh, uh, concepts, words carry philosophy in them. And so when I say a word like generosity, I'm not just saying a word, I'm talking about a spirit, I'm talking about an attitude to life, I'm talking about something where suddenly your world becomes different. And money becomes something that generosity uses rather than the other way around. This was a very difficult lesson for me because I was born in the 50s. Yes, I am that old. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my father, we lived in a household where it was in the early 50s that rationing stopped. In other words, after the Second World War, there wasn't enough food. And so in Britain, there was rationing. You could only buy a certain amount of bread, a certain amount of butter, a certain amount of meat, a certain number of eggs. Every week, there was rationing. You had to have a card. It was ticked off. And that was your lot for the week. And I remember growing up as a child, as sort of the post-war child growing up, where the attitude was, there's not enough. There's just not enough. And so my father, when I was growing up, he used to say this to me all the time. I'd go to him, I'd ask him for something, he'd say, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. By the time I was 15, I stopped asking my father for anything. I thought, if I'm going to get anything, I have to work for it. So I went out and got a Saturday job and worked every summer when I was a university student. I never asked my father for another thing. He gave me things from time to time, but I just stopped asking. But I didn't realize how deep that programming went into me. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know I'm, a, I'm a believer. I'm a pastor. I've got six kids. We're living in Denmark. And one day, my 14-year-old daughter came to me because in Denmark, they have a thing called confirmation. It's a little bit like what Anglicans do, but the free churches do it in order for kids not to feel left out. Because everybody in that year group will get confirmed, you know, if they're in the Lutheran church or whatever. So in order for kids not to feel left out, free churches do this. And she was going to have her confirmation. And it's a big deal in Denmark. You have to have a new dress and your family give you gifts and things like this. And so my 14-year-old daughter came to me, Emma. She said, Daddy, can I have a new dress for my confirmation? And while she was there, her 12-year-old sister was standing next to her, the lippy one. How many of you know there's always a lippy one in a family? <laughs> And she said, don't bother asking him. He can't afford it. And it pierced me. It just pierced me. I felt, I felt dumbstruck. And I, I, I just, I didn't quite know how to handle it. I said, oh, let's talk about this another time, Emma. And I, I went for a long walk and I was praying and I said, God, I feel deeply convicted and wounded and something's going on at me. What's this all about? 
what's going on in me? And, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you've been struggling with a poverty spirit. And I said, really? I wasn't even aware of it. I was, I was quite a generous person. I wasn't somebody who withheld. But it's like, you don't know how to trust me in this area fully. I want you to go to a new place. And it was like, I was like, really, God, what, you know, what's my first step? And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. The first step is stop lying. How many of you know when the Holy Spirit says something like that to you, it's very uncomfortable. (laughs) This was not, this was not me and Jesus having a sweet time together. Let me promise you, this was, this was me and Jesus and I'm the uncomfortable one. And I said, what do you mean lying? And, he said, and the Holy Spirit said this to me. How many times have you said we can't afford it when you could? How many times have you as a parent said we can't afford it when you had money, but you did it to shut your kids up? Because it was the easiest thing to say. It's a little uncomfortable now, isn't it? So glad you came to church tonight. And I just felt so uncomfortable. I said, Lord, I've done that many times. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And the Lord said, well, it's really simple. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you think they should have it and you have the money, say yes. If you think they shouldn't have it, say no and enter the argument. How many of you know if you say no to a kid, why? You see, it's so much easier to say we can't afford it than have the argument, isn't it? God said, don't avoid the confrontation. Say the no. And I said, okay, Lord, what if I feel like they should have it and I don't have the money? I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) Tell them I'll provide it. And I remember sitting there saying, God, that's a high-risk strategy. (laughs) Because in my heart, I wasn't convinced God would do it. And so I'm going through this process, I tell you, and it's a couple of days I'm praying, I'm seeking God, all this stuff is going through my head. So two days later, she comes to me again, she says, Daddy, about that dress, can I have that dress? I said, well, Emma, I said, "Here's, here's the truth. I said, I I think you should have that dress. And she smiled. I said, but right now I don't have the money to buy it for you, but I'm going to pray with you and our Heavenly Father is going to provide it. She looked at me and she started crying and she said, is that a clever way of saying no? (laughs) And And I said, no, sweetheart, I promise you that your Father in Heaven is going to provide this dress for you because I think you should have it. So I said, how much faith do you have? She's, she's in tears. She's 14. She's, I don't know. She's about 10%. I said, that's okay. I'll make up the other 90. And we sat there and we prayed together and we just asked the Lord for this brand new dress. And then she walked out of the room and then I started crying. I said, Lord, I did it again. I lied. I don't have 90%. <laughs> so I'm on my face and I'm repenting. I said, but I couldn't let her down. And I just, you know, I'm so sorry I lied. But, you know, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. I can't even put a percentage on it. 
and I'm crying out to God and I'm in this complete mess and state and I'm thinking my reputation's at stake, your reputation's at stake. We're both going to look bad here if you don't come through. And I'm really crying out to God because I'm trying to break something in my heart. I'm trying to break this stronghold. And, uh, you know, about a week later, we, we had a friend from Monaco who rang us up. How many of you know friends in Monaco is a great idea? Oh, so glad for friends in Monaco. So without soliciting anything, we didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell the rest of the kids. It was just her and I talking together, praying together. This woman rang me up from Monaco, a great friend of ours. She said, Peter, um, we're coming to Denmark to visit um, the college and, and to see your family. But um, we've been praying for your family. And she said, I feel really awkward telling you this. And I said, well, don't feel awkward. Just tell me straight. She said, well, I, I, we've been praying for the whole family and the Holy Spirit spoke to us that we're supposed to do something special, but only for one of your children. Uh, I was thinking, you know, yeah, you know where this is going, don't you? I think, oh, I said to her, oh, that's interesting. Which one? And she said, Emma. She said, the Lord told me that I have to buy her a dress. And she said, does that make sense to you? And I said, yes, <laughs> completely. So she came over and, uh, and, and when she was there with us, we went out to the shopping mall. Now, how many of you know in a shopping mall, there's lots and lots of shops? So which shop does my daughter pick? The most expensive one in the entire store. Now, here's another thing. God's dealing with me in this whole thing. Because when I grew up, my father said this to me. Look, when somebody takes you out to a restaurant, you never pick the most expensive meal that's on the menu. That's just taking advantage of their generosity and their kindness. You never do that, son. You, you look down, you find an average price meal. You don't have to go for the cheapest one, but an average price meal, you choose that. Do you know, for years, I ate out with friends and I never chose a meal I really wanted. Because the meal I really wanted was usually too expensive. So I went for the average meal and ate what I thought I could tolerate. Because I thought, that's, that's etiquette. That's the way you should do things. Nobody ever told me that you could actually go for the most expensive meal if somebody wanted to treat you. Nobody taught me you could do that. The poverty mentality says, no, you're not allowed to do that. That's too much. That's too far. And so here's my daughter now breaking all these rules I've grown up with, going to the most expensive store. And then she tries a dress on, and the woman, I nearly fell over when she told me the price. It's the most expensive dress in the most expensive store. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I turn to this lady, I say, you know, there's lots of other stores along here. We can just try half a dozen stores if you like. And she says, well, why should we do that? Emma likes this one. <sighs> I'm dying. You need to know I'm like, I'm dying on the inside. My, my embarrassment is being crucified. My sense of proportion is being crucified. Everything that I thought was good etiquette, good British etiquette, is being crucified by, by this whole experience. And then this, this woman said, well, do you like the dress, Emma? And she said, oh, I love the dress. And then she looked at me and she said, is it okay, Daddy? And everything on the inside wanted to say, No! It's too much. And I silenced that thought. And I said, honey, if that's the dress you want, I think that's the dress you should have. That's what came out of my mouth. I nearly choked saying it. 
And my daughter got this dress, and honestly, she looked a million dollars. I was just like, wow, that's fantastic. And I was just overwhelmed with God's generosity through this. I was overwhelmed with God's generosity. And I, I went back and I said, God, what are, you, what are you trying to teach me? And the Holy Spirit said to me, how hard do you think that was for me? I'm, I'm a mess now. Well, I know that wasn't hard for you at all, but why is it hard for me to believe that it wasn't hard? Because we get programmed in particular ways right from childhood. You see, there are some people who speak small words over your life that become big. And they're the wrong words. And they tell you it's all about money and it's all about getting a good job and it's all about an education. When rather, instead of education, I believe there's a bigger word, vocation, calling. I believe that's a much bigger word. No, I'm not against education. Education's okay, but it's a small word. Calling is a big word. I don't, know, I don't want to know what your qualifications are. I want to know what your calling is in God. And so here we were. I'm a complete mess over this whole thing. And then two days later, my daughter comes to me and she says, Dad, there's the confirmation on the Sunday, but on the Monday, they call it Blue Monday and you need another outfit. <laughs> I said, what? She said, can I have a second outfit for Monday? You're not allowed to, you know, you just don't wear the same outfit, Dad. I should have another outfit for Monday. And I looked at her and I said, no. No, N-O, no. You can't have another outfit. Do you know what she did? She looked at me and she said, that's okay. My Father in heaven will give it to me. <laughs> and you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, you're going to be eating humble pie by the end of the week. We'll see. We'll see, you cheeky little thing. You little presumptuous thing. You, we're going to watch and see by the end of the week who's right and who's wrong. ha, ha, ha. Two days later, I get another phone call. Oh, we've been praying for your family. And the Lord spoke to me and said, we're supposed to do something, but for only one of your children. You know where this is going, don't you? So someone else comes over, takes her out shopping, buys her a second outfit. I am so shocked. I'm, 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 I tell you, I'm going for walks. I'm kicking walls. I'm spitting. I'm swearing, but I'm on my own, so that's okay. I mean, I'm just trying to deal with something in my life here. And it's like, it's like the God I've never known. The God of generosity that I've never known. Now, I, I, don't get me wrong. I know about 50 scriptures about generosity. I get it theologically. God so loved the world, He gave. I can preach about it, but I'm talking about something really visceral. I'm talking about something where God is dealing with me deep in my spirit. Something is being reframed. So I'm on this walk with God. And I said, where is that in the Bible? And the Holy Spirit said to me, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. I literally got a text in my head. It's in 2 Samuel 12. So I went and read 2 Samuel 12. That's the story of David's adultery. 
I said, what the heck's this all about? And then as you read that story, you come to the part where Nathan confronts David. And I'm going to paraphrase now. I'm going to summarize it. But here's what Nathan said. He said, I gave you the nation of Israel. I gave you the nation of Judah. I gave you the kingship and all of Saul's wives. I gave you authority over other nations. And if it hadn't been enough, I would have given you more Why did you take? And it floored me. David got to a point in his life where he got, he'd received so much, he didn't believe God could give him any more. So he took. Wow. Do you know, most sin that we get into It's because we don't believe God can meet our need. So we go and meet it ourselves. See, generosity is a big word. It's a big word. You will not build the extension that you want to do here through giving. You'll do it through generosity. You'll do it through people who get a vision in their heart about leaving a legacy. I believe sin is a small word, but grace is a big word. In Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Come on, what's big in your life? Is sin big in your life? Make it small. And make grace big. The grace of God, Titus tells us, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and fleshly lust. Grace teaches you and empowers you to live for God. Make grace big in your life. (coughs) I believe condemnation is a small word, but forgiveness is a big word. I believe duty is a small word, but passion is a big word. Do you know, so many times in life, we do things out of a sense of duty. I ought. Now, now, you know, listen, I get it that, you know, you're a parent. And when you have a baby, you've got the beauty of the kid who's in your image and is a child that reflects who you are, both of you. But somebody's got to change the diapers. You know, I get that there's aspects of life that are just plain smelly. I was going to say another word, but... You know what I mean? We've all got to deal with crap from time to time. But that's part of the package. But that's just a bit of the package. The package is there's this child that is God's heritage who's going to grow up with a unique personality, a unique calling. And every child is unique. By the way, I don't believe in special needs kids. I just believe in special kids. Every kid's need is different. We label them special needs. You know why? Because they don't fit into the systems we create. And that just tells me our systems are crappy. Doesn't mean the kid is crappy. The kid is unique. And we've got to find creative ways to connect with kids who don't fit our processes and our systems. And we've got to design new processes and new systems. 
And, and it's, what we need is that level of creativity. So I believe systematization is a small word, but creativity is a big word. Do you get it? Come on, what are the big words in your life? What are the words? You know, when I was growing up, fear was a big word in my life. From the age of eight until I was roughly 20 years of age, I had to sleep with the light on. I was so scared of the dark. Throughout my teenage years, listen, I became an academic, not because I'm academically wired. There it goes. Don't evacuate. (laughs) I became academic, not because I'm academically wired, but because as a teenager, I couldn't sleep. So I used to read most of the night until dawn broke, and then I'd go to sleep for three or four hours. I had that throughout my teenage period. Very seldom did I get a full night's sleep. I was so controlled by fear. Fear was a huge word in my life. And then as I began to mature in God's word, I began to learn scriptures. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 1.3, I, uh, I lay down, I slept, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 127, he gives his beloved sleep. I learned the authority of God's word. And you know what? Perfect love casts out fear. I displace fear. And do you know what? In fear's place came faith. And now today, faith is big. For me, faith is a big word and fear is a small word. I remember when it was a big word, but I'm no longer there now. I remember when money was a big word in my life, but it isn't a big word anymore. It's a servant to a much bigger word. Every single one of you, you've got words in your life. Sometimes they're words spoken over you. Sometimes they're words that you've learned through growing up in a family. And sometimes you've got to reprogram. What are the big words that are going to be in your world? I believe that faith is a big word. I believe the devil's a small word and Jesus is a big word. You know, I talk to some Christians. It's like they talk, they talk about the devil more than about Jesus. Oh, the devil's really having a go. Oh, yeah, I've really been battling the enemy this week. Yeah, the devil's really had a go. It's like, wow, you're important, aren't you? Devil needs to spend time with you. I don't like talking about the enemy too much. I like talking about Jesus a lot. I don't mind talking about his defeat. I don't mind talking about Jesus' victory over him. I don't mind talking about the fact he's a roaring liar seeking him in a of ours. So we've got to be alert and vigilant. We've got to be men and women of faith. I believe income is a small word, but legacy is a big word. Anyone can have an income. Not anyone can leave a legacy. I believe me, myself, and I are small words. I believe we and us are big words. Let me read to you a passage from the book of Genesis about the life of Joseph. Here's what it says. Genesis chapter 40, verse 12. And Joseph said to him, this is where Joseph interprets the dreams of the baker and the butler. Do you remember? They were down in the dungeon with him, in the prison with him. And one is going to be killed and one is going to be uh, restored to his position. Here's Joseph talking to him, to the butler. He says, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner 
when, when you were his butler. Now, I just want you to listen to this, and I'm going to read it with a certain emphasis. Just listen carefully to the way Joseph talks to this man. But remember me when it is well with you, and show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. Also, I have done nothing here that should put me into the dungeon. What do you think the issue is? Okay, you're not convinced yet. Okay. Verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. (laughs) How supernatural is that? You've got a guy who interprets a dream that saves your life and gives you hope. And he's just saying one thing to you. Listen, when you get there and you're back in that position of responsibility and you've got Pharaoh's ear, you know, life has been a bitch to me right now. My brothers, they really, they really betrayed me. It's just gone bad for me. I shouldn't be here. I'm innocent. Is that bad here, by the way? Some of your reactions. Okay, that's how people think. And Joseph is unhappy. He's not happy. It's me, 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 me. It's not fair. It's not fair. I'm unhappy. I haven't done anything wrong. Remember me. And it's almost like God looks down and says, yeah, okay, we'll deal with that. Forget him. It's like touch the butler's brain. Just forget him. Can you imagine Joseph? You're so excited. The guy's going to be restored. Any day now, I'm going to be set free. Any day. Two more years. Hello? God knows how to crucify your flesh. Genesis 41. One day, Pharaoh has a dream and the butler remembers. It's two years later. Listen to these words. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you. You can interpret a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. Do you get it? As long as it's about you, it's a big word in your world. And it really isn't about you. It's about we and us. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. (laughs) It's not about my amazing gift, Pharaoh. It's about the God who gave it to me. It's not not what I'm going to do to serve you right now. It's what God is allowing me to do and empowering me to do. Do you get it? You know, so many times in life, we want God to act according to our time frame. And when God doesn't, have you noticed we get a little upset? Have you noticed that? Just a little, get a little upset. You know, sometimes people come to me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a senior pastor of a significant church, church about 700 people in London. People come to me and they, they just want to know stuff all the time. And I, I just say, yeah, I don't know. But you're a senior pastor, you're meant to know. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for telling me my job. But here's the thing, I don't know. It's called a walk of faith. And faith is a big word in my world and uncertainty is a small word. 
So I live with ambiguity sometimes. And I've met lots of Christians who don't like ambiguity. But I want to know, and I want to know now. I want to get out of prison, and I want to get out now. My situation needs to change, and it needs to change now, because I'm not happy, really. Who's in the center of that world? But when it becomes about Jesus... And he becomes the big word in your world and in your life. It doesn't matter. You could be like the Apostle Paul who's in prison. He wanted to be an evangelist. He wanted to plant churches. He wanted to be out there preaching the gospel. And he ends up in prison. He said, I want you to know this has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel because now the palace guard, everybody knows I'm here because of my testimony for Jesus. And people are emboldened to preach the gospel. So I'm rejoicing. The Word of God is not bound. The Word of God is not limited by your situation or your circumstances or your personal trial. The Word of God is able to accomplish what it can accomplish regardless. You get it? Friends, what are the big words in your life? What are they? Are you letting them become bigger? Or are you just somebody who's settled for status quo? You've settled for this is the way it is. Don't do that. If you're somebody like me who wrestles with fear, then learn about faith. Read books about faith. Learn verses about faith. Don't let, be, be, let it be fear that controls you. If you're somebody where money is always the thing you're worried about, you've, you've always got too much month at the end of your money. I have a picture in my wallet of my six kids where my money used to be. I get it. I get it. I've been there. But you've, you've got to let the Word of God get into your heart so that you begin to create an inner world that's a new reality. We, we've all grown up in families. Listen, I haven't met one family that isn't slightly dysfunctional. The trick is owning up to it. You know, even in our own family, you know, our kids will tease us from time to time about me or my wife and our, our slight dysfunctionality. They just tease us. It's like instead of getting insecure about it, I laugh about it. I say, yeah, but I'm changing, aren't I? And they say, yeah, Dad, thank God. <laughs> but if you try and come across as the one who's always all together, the one who's always there, the one who's always right... Come on, friends, there's no reality in that. Now, I, I don't know what it's going to take for some of you to let the right words become big words in your life, but, but you know you. You know your journey. You know the things that you need to deal with. And all I want to do now is just create a moment where you can respond. And if you know there's a word in your life that's bigger than it should be, it is a big word in your life because it controls your thinking. It controls your decision-making. It influences you in ways that you don't like. And there's other words that you want to become big in your world. You want to see a shift. If you're here tonight and you know there is something that's unique for you, you don't have to tell me what it is. 
because the Lord already knows. But you have to acknowledge to God, God, I need a shift in this area of my life. This word needs to become bigger. I know some people who just, they live with so offended for so long. Offense is a small word. It's such a small word. And if you live with an offense, you become a small person with a small world. But if you let forgiveness become a big word in your world, you'll become a big person. And you'll have a big influence. So if you're here tonight and you know there is something that needs to shift in you, all I want you to do right now is stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.